This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. Common Intubation Scenarios Elevated Intracranial Pressure by Dr. Thomas Mancuso and Dr. Tracy Woolbrink. Hello, my name is Dr. Thomas Mancuso. I'm one of the intensivists at Children's Hospital Boston. And I'm Tracy Wolbrink, one of the clinical fellows in pediatric critical care at Children's Hospital Boston. Today we're going to be talking to you about different scenarios for intubating typical patients you might see in the pediatric intensive care unit. Case description. So Tom, I just wanted to talk to you about this patient here. This is a five-year-old boy who was admitted to our ICU approximately one hour ago. He is a child that was in a bicycle versus motor vehicle accident. He suffered a right uh, femoral fracture as well as a left tibial fracture. And on his head CT, he does have a small left subdural hematoma. Over the last 10 minutes or so, his exam has changed. His mental status is depressed. His pupils have become unequal. And his heart rate has de decreased from 100s to 60s, as well as his blood pressure has been increasing. In addition, his respiratory pattern has become quite irregular and he's taking very big, deep breaths. It looks like these are clinical signs of increased intracranial pressure. Do you agree? I agree. What do you think we should do for him? So I think we should um, intubate this patient and take over his breathing pattern, slightly hyperventilate this patient while we're waiting for a repeat uh, head CT, as well as decreasing his cerebral metabolism to um, allow us to prevent further herniation. We already have his head of his bed elevated. That's one step that we took first. He may be hypercarbic, and that will certainly worsen his raised ICP problems. I agree we should secure the airway and control ventilation. Great. I'll call the neurosurgical uh, resident, and I'll get the intubation supplies if you'll get the medications ready. Yes, I'll do that. Great. Please note that if a patient has signs and symptoms of acute brain herniation, this represents an emergency situation and steps need to be initiated in a simultaneous emergent fashion. Therefore, you may need to bring in more personnel and support as needed to perform all of these tasks. Equipment. So Tom, I've gathered all the equipment that I feel will be necessary to intubate this child. I've grabbed a Mac 2 blade for him, uh, which will allow me to have a little bit better tongue control, especially as I want to do this as quickly as possible. And I've also grabbed uh, a 5-0 cuffed endotracheal tube. I've inserted a stylet and I've checked my cuff. Um, and I also have an oral airway just in case we get into any difficulties as well as a mask uh, which seems to be the appropriate size for the patient. It covers the nose and the mouth and then a um, bag apparatus. This is an anesthesia type bag which we'll use and then I have my um, face protection, my mask and my eye protection for the intubation. We have an oxygen source, we have a suction source, which um, I will grab. And I have a capnograph, and I think we have our child already connected to our monitors. And a syringe to inflate the balloon cuff. And we have a stethoscope available to check for breath sounds after intubation. Medications. So we've removed the C-collar um, with neurosurgical 
uh, standby, and our neurosurgery colleagues are now performing inline traction. I'm applying some uh, bag mask ventilation to try to decrease the end tidal CO2, as well as providing 100% FiO2 to this patient. This is a very challenging uh, intubation sequence, as you know, Tracy, because we have many considerations. The worries about raised intracranial pressure that we could worsen dramatically if we don't lump the response to laryngoscopy intubation appropriately. The injuries you described have led him to have a low preload, so mm -hmm. if we're too aggressive with our induction agent, he'll be hypotensive and that will also diminish cerebral blood flow. And finally, we have full stomach considerations. We have to assume he just had a meal, even though we don't have that history. His gastric emptying has been stopped. So my sequence of drugs will be an induction agent thiopental, which mm -hmm. decreases CMRO2. Great point, Tom. I think it's very important to decrease the metabolic oxygen demands of the brain, but I know right now we have a shortage of thiopental. An alternative strategy in this scenario could be to use agents such as atomidate or fentanyl for the intubation. Others premedicate with an opioid. I think in this case, I like the idea that he is breathing on his own and an opioid might diminish that, so we'll skip an opioid here. Following the thiopental, we'll give a flush and then succinylcholine the most rapid-acting relaxant we have. There's controversy there because the fasciculations which may occur in a five-year-old could lead to increased cerebral blood flow. But that's a very trivial increase, and I think the advantage of speed, minimizing hypercarbia and or hypoxia, is well worth the small disadvantage that succinylcholine might present. And remember, if you're going to use succinylcholine, there are several situations in which its use is contraindicated. These include known hyperkalemia or diseases that can cause hyperkalemia, such as crush injuries with extensive muscle damage, severe burns, and spinal cord injuries, progressive neuromuscular disease and myopathies, but not necessarily static neuromuscular disease. And finally, a known susceptibility to malignant hyperthermia is a definite contraindication to succinylcholine, as it is a known trigger for that disease. Induction and intubation. So if you have a good mask airway, I'll begin the induction sequence. He's 20 kilos. I'll give two per kilo thiopental, a modest but not high dose. Mm -hmm. And if during laryngoscopy he develops hypertension or tachycardia that's dramatic, I will give an additional dose. Here's my flush to be sure we don't have precipitation from these two agents. Succinylcholine is dosed at two milligrams per kilogram also. So I've just given the muscle relaxant, he will very quickly become paralyzed. I'll flush that in. And now as you begin to prepare for laryngoscopy, I'm prepared with more thiopental should that be needed. Great. I think probably the appropriate time has passed. It's over 30 seconds. I'll take the circuit from you. Great. The neurosurgeon will work against you and not allow you to change the position while you do laryngoscopy and intubation. I will hand you the ET tube when you have a view of the glottis. Is oximeter to be 98? See. Tell me when I should remove the stylet. You can remove the stylet. Just going to apply our end tidal CO2 monitor. I'll give you the bag. Okay. Listen. See, so we have a color change. Great. And the breast sounds are equal and clear. Perfect. Now we'll secure the endotracheal tube before proceeding. If you hold the inline traction to reapply the collar, then we can move on to other management. Perfect. Thank okay. you. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide.
For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org. Thank you.